welcome to today's episode of Art 101, Artists on the Business of Art. If you're an artist and or have a fantasy about being one professionally, these artists will give you the inside scoop into their lives, careers, and what it's really like to make your living as a fine artist, illustrator, or artisan. Your host is award-winning illustrator and designer, Michael Gibbs. Hi, this is Hope Gibbs. You are listening to the Incandescent Radio Network. We are here today with Joel Goodman, an Emmy-winning composer who has written music for more than 100 films. His work has appeared at every major film festival in the world, and he has collaborated with an impressive array of distinguished directors and producers, including Wong Kar-wai, Kevin Spacey, and Albert Mazels. He wrote an article for the March 2000 issue of Be Incandescent magazine, which was our Women in Power issue, about the latest score that he did for the PBS special Makers, Women Who Make America. This documentary tells the story of the women's movement through personal accounts of the leaders, opponents, and trailblazers who created a new America in the last half century. It's part of a historic video initiative from AOL and PBS. That film made its debut on Tuesday, February 26th on PBS and showcases hundreds of compelling stories from such notable women as Oprah Winfrey, Erin Brockovich, Alice Walker, Dr. Ruth Westheimer, Rita Moreno, and Rita Mae Brown, among others. So we are thrilled to have Joel on the Incandescent Radio Network. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Hope. I'm thrilled to be here also. You have been such a great supporter of the Incandescent Group, and so we are really honored to be talking about your amazing work. You've just done incredible stuff throughout your career. So let's start off by talking about your career as a composer. It's a dream for many young kids to write scores for movies, but so few make it. How did you get into the business, and how did you find such success? Um, probably like, like many people in the music business, I started off playing music. Uh, most of us start playing guitar, playing piano, maybe in a rock band or something else. And uh, during my time in college, I switched my major uh, from performance to composing. I'd always been interested in composing. So I started studying a bit more seriously then. After college, started working as a musician and not working as a composer. Working as a composer is a much more challenging thing if there's... Um, Probably if there's 100 jobs for a musician, there might be five jobs for a composer. So um, it's a, a bit harder to start that way. I was producing a friend of mine's um, record at a studio. And as a thank you, the studio gave me a bunch of free time for being the project there. And I decided to record a bunch of my music that was appropriate for film and TV and things like you know other media and stuff like that. And I took that tape out and sent it to some people, but in a strange twist, the artist who I was producing had a friend who owned a music production company in New York. He gave him that recording, and they hired me to write music for them, and they largely did television commercials. So I spent a number of years as a staff writer at this company uh, writing music for TV commercials, and it really became a form of graduate Someone would show up in the morning, hand you at that time the video cassette, and say, We need the score. The musicians will be here at 3 o'clock, the clients will be here at 5, and it goes on the air tonight at 8 o'clock. And you would have to do the whole thing in one day. And it was uh, just, just a, a great proving ground. And I did that every single day for, for about uh, 
five years or so. And in my fourth or fifth year there, I started to work on longer format projects, TV shows, documentaries, and feature films, and eventually moved on from the uh, commercial production company and went out on my own and thankfully have continued from there to uh, attract more producers and directors who want to work with me. And it's been a, I've been very fortunate. It's been a, a rather steady stream since. It, it's, I think that's very unusual uh, for many people. I'm, I'm certainly not a household name in the world of composers, but I do work regularly, and that's, uh, that's something to be quite grateful for. And you've done some truly fabulous uh, composing for some amazing movies. So let's talk about one of my favorites, Being Elmo. What was that experience like? <laughs> Being Elmo was, wow, where to start? It was, the, for me, it was just the right project at the right time. I do a lot of scoring for documentaries, and most tend to be very serious subjects. And after a while, you want to do something with some levity to it, some fun, you know, something like that, at least get away from war, medicine, uh, and whatever else is happening. So um, Connie Marks is the filmmaker. I had scored Connie's film called Green Chimneys uh, quite, quite a number of years before that, and she and I have always stayed in touch. And when Elmo came around, she called me to do the music. And it was a great experience also because I was involved in the film early. I think I started seeing... Uh, footage of that film probably two and a half years before I started working on it. Um, I think Connie spent something like seven years working on the film. And it was great to see all these iterations, get to know Kevin, uh, Kevin Class, who plays Elmo, who created Elmo, really, um, and get to know his personality and everything through all of that. And in my discussions with Connie and, and Philip Shane, her co-director and, and one of the editors on the film, we came up with this idea that, you know, Kevin's life is a rather magical life. And that became the, the kind of uh, emotional germ, let's say, that we wanted the music to take to underscore that uh, journey that he was on and, and really how, how magical it was. The, the concept of being a young man as a teenager, making Muppets and puppets of your own and really working at it, dedicating yourself entirely, and then finally meeting uh, people like uh, Kermit Love and um, Jim Henson and then working with your idols and being respected by them and being looked at as a peer to them. For him, this was just, it's a, it's a magical thing. How often does that happen? So it was, a, it, was a, it was a really joyful project to work on. So I had a great time. That is so cool. That's one of my favorite movies. Um, now, you also worked on a project about President Clinton. Tell us about that. So, yeah, from Elmo to Clinton. Hmm, I wonder <laughs> if you ever did anything with Elmo. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, Clinton, let's see. So this was a couple of years ago, so I'm jogging my memory. But um, the filmmaker is Barrett Goodman. And Barrett and I had done two films previous uh, to Clinton, so we were already starting to set up a uh, relationship of working together and have really gotten to know each other pretty well. Barrett is one of these guys who comes in very prepared 
and uh, it's really wonderful to work with that. It's, it's also wonderful to work when there's not so much preparation. It's just a different way of working. But he comes in, he's got a script already done, he's shot everything, he knows how the whole film is going to go, and he can sit down with me and tell me exactly what the themes are going to be, and he can describe them pretty well from an emotional standpoint. So that is just super helpful and gives me you know, a big leg up in, in the process. Um, it was a large-scale project. I think it has over 125 pieces of music in it, and um, it took, took quite a bit of time, but it's also a project I'm, I'm very, very proud of. And uh, I think it'll be looked at as one of the definitive stories about President Clinton. It delves into his childhood a bit and, and his, his years as governor, but the years of his presidency really come to life in the film, and, and I believe Barrack sheds new, new light on it. So it was, it was great to really underscore the themes of his career as a president, uh, themes of defeat and scandal and second chances and coming back and, and rising up again. He, in, in a lot of ways, he was very inspirational. And it was nice to work on a project where I, I really knew the history. I had lived through it myself. So, so that was exciting, too. So how do you write 120-plus pieces of music for a film? How long does it take, and how are you inspired? Well, that's a great question. I'm about to do the same thing now on a new project, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I feel like I'm reinventing the wheel when I do it. Um, you, you have, you know, when you have something large, well, no matter what it is, you, you have to break it down into smaller parts. And in this case, what we did was we broke it down, I believe it was roughly eight themes that we came up with. And I would say more than half the film from a musical perspective falls into those eight themes. That becomes really helpful in terms of setting the tone of what the whole thing is going to be. So once you have approval on those themes, so basically I sit down, I write the themes, and I'll, in this case, show it to Barrick, and we'll talk about what works, what doesn't work, and I'll hone it in a bit more. Some of it will be the picture, some of it may not be the picture. Ultimately, everything is the picture, and, and that's the, the final criteria. Um, but once we have those themes done, we know what the instrumentation is going to be, what the overall feel of the score is going to feel like, because in this case, we're just talking about music as emotion. We're talking about how people react to music in an emotional way. Does it, in the simplest way, is it happy or is it sad? You know, things like that. Is it mysterious or is it ominous? Now, that, now you start to get into subtleties. And there's a bit of subjectivity to it. But once all of that is established and clear, you can move pretty fast through the score once you know how it works. And I can usually write about 15 to 20 minutes of music a week if I'm really focused on a project and don't have too many other distractions. So it just takes time. And, and you just sit there and you go one cue at a time and you make it work. Now, tell us about that, the subtleties of music. Is it take, you know, I think we're all impacted by the different emotions that music can evoke from us. But how is it, and how do you turn it from an art to a science? Hmm. 
it, it's it's a great question. Um, I, I just just before you and I are talking this morning, I was speaking to another filmmaker. We were actually having what's called the spotting sessions. And the spotting session is one of the most critical meetings. Uh, when you're about to start on a film, you choose all the spots where there will be music in the film, and you speak about each spot. And the key word here is you speak about it. You don't play something on the piano or something like that. We might play some music as reference, but we'll talk about what's really happening here. Is this there might be, like I'm working on this film about JFK now, so we see a scene with uh, Jackie, uh, Jacqueline Bouvier Kennedy, JFK's wife. And we think, oh, well, you know, do we want music to feel feminine? She's beautiful. She's sophisticated. She's, um, she's a socialite to a certain degree. She's also a huge supporter of the arts. So you kind of, you know, take all of these things into account and you look at it and then the director said something like, yes, but we're really talking here about how she feels about Jack and that she is conflicted in some ways because she loves him, but she knows he may not always be faithful. So now the music may turn from being something that's feminine and beautiful and sophisticated to maybe something that's a little more bittersweet and takes on a slightly darker tinge. And that's really what music can do in a film. Even right now by talking about it, I'm not playing that music for you, but I think you and probably most people could understand what it would mean to have music that's beautiful, feminine, sophisticated, or music that's bittersweet. And yet it can still work for the same person, depending on what emotion we want to want the audience to feel. Absolutely. So tell us how many instruments you play. You said the piano. How else do you compose? My primary instrument, the one that I'm most proficient on, um, oddly enough, is the bass. Although I started playing trumpet as my first instrument. As a composer, I've probably spent more time behind a piano than any other instrument by far, or any of the other instruments all combined, I probably spend more time behind the piano. Although I'm not specifically trained, I've, I've turned into a fairly decent piano player, I think. Um, so I played string bass and orchestras, I played uh, bass and rock bands and jazz bands and world music, I played trumpet in, in the orchestra as well as concert bands and jazz bands, uh, I played sax for a little bit, and I've always loved various percussion instruments and have a small collection and love to play those things too. So um, I've gotten my way through, I think, all of the major groups, let's say of the orchestra and, and most bands. So, um, have a, and, it, it, and it's been invaluable. It's been really helpful as, as you write for all these different instruments to understand how they're played makes a huge difference. Yeah, the song of each instrument must be unique, the voice of it. It makes me think of the movie August Rush, which is also one of my favorite films, uh, how he says, you know, the music is all around us. All you need to do is listen. That's right. That's, that's entirely true. So tell us now about Makers. How did you come to be involved in this project and what was involved in it? Makers, as I know it, started off as a project probably three years 
two, two to three years before I became involved in it, um, a woman named Dylan McGee, who is a uh, producer mostly of documentary films, um, had this idea to uh, celebrate the women who make America. And, and I think it goes beyond just making America because these specific women have contributed to the society of the world in, in a really big way. So this was her idea to do this film that really celebrates it. And they started off, there's always been a very large online component to this. They have a website with lots of videos. They've been doing these um, archival videos, fantastic stuff that's not in the film that you can go online and see. And uh, it's just, it's an enormous project. And I think as an outgrowth of that, they decided that they wanted to do a three-hour documentary about the history, basically, of women in the 20th century. Um, they had to put some, some sort of bookends on it somehow. Um, and it, it's just turned into a great project. Dylan hired uh, Barrett Goodman to direct the film, which is how I came, became involved, although Dylan and I have worked together as well. And uh, prior to that, I mean. And uh, Barrett called me up and said uh, he'd like to work with me on this. And, uh, and so we did. And that's, that's basically how I became involved in it. And, uh, and I'm, I'm very proud of it. I remember watching the first um, hour of the film, which was actually, for me, was the second hour of the film. It was the first hour I had watched. And I, uh, I was just really knocked out by it. felt it was a really important story that, at, at first, I thought, oh, every woman has to see this film. And then I think within a minute after, I felt that, well, wait a minute, every man has to see this film. So um, it's just a really important story. How many pieces of music did you create for that? You know, I don't remember. <laughs> but it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. I remember the Clinton one because I looked at the cue sheet recently. But... Um, I would say it's it's probably in the same neighborhood, probably close to a hundred. You know, you have a three-hour film. That's that's what happens. Um, and and my involvement, uh, I'm scoring the. I was originally hired just to score the second hour of the film, and I ended up scoring the second and the third hour of the film. And a uh, friend of mine actually scored the the first hour. A woman named Miriam Cutler. So we worked completely independently, um, but it was actually kind of neat in a way because as composers, we don't usually, as film composers, we don't typically collaborate. We don't typically work on the same project with people, let alone somebody who's, who you can call a friend. So uh, that was kind of a nice thing. Um, and it eased the burden. They were, they were a bit in a rush by the time they came to me. So there was a lot to do quickly, and they realized that it made sense to divide and conquer uh, and get the job done. But it, it's, it's, it's a project I'm very, very proud of. Yeah, it's a beautiful work. Um, so do you play music for fun? You said that you've become a pretty good piano player. Do you go to a bar and get a gig, or <laughs> do you just do this for your day job? It's <laughs> pretty funny. Um, I have some friends who call me every once in a while, and... They they don't typically think of me as a piano player. They'll say, bring your bass. And um, 
and just come on over and let's play or let's do something. I think that, but I never go. That's, that's what I should say. <laughs> I, I never do it. Um, what I do do is I have a piano in the house, in the living room. And at night, uh, pretty much before going to bed, I do. I, I love to sit there for even if it's 20 minutes or a half hour and just, just play. And, and sometimes I'll play. We have a, a couple of basses in there also. So I, I, like to, I, like, I like to do that for fun. But it's mostly by myself. I'd love to do more of it, but my my life has become pretty consumed with uh, with my composing career. And you're out there in LA, but you grew up in New York. Tell us a little bit about living on the different coasts. Um, well, I'm a native New Yorker. Lived there all my life until I went to college in Boston, and then moved back to New York. And you know, it's it's. Aside from home, it's really where I started to see, uh, it's really where I started to hear music and start to to play with people and and, uh, grow up in that sense. It's where I learned a bit more about the music business and started to get more involved. It's certainly where my career started. um, And most of my clients still live in New York. The people we're talking about, the directors and producers, I think they all live in New York, all the people we've spoken about so far. And, um, you know, I I moved to L.A. about 10 years ago. And I thought at the time that I would probably lose almost all of my clients and that I would have to, you know, hit the pavement and start over again. And the funniest thing happened. Not only did every single person stay and continue to work with me, but more people from New York continue to call. And now people from, from all over call. I've worked with filmmakers in Memphis, in Portland, Oregon, in Alaska and Hawaii. Um, and I think that, you know, we're not so geo geocentric. I don't know if that's the right word, but we're not so locked down to any of these you know, major places anymore that you can really work anywhere. Um, this JFK film that I'm working on now, the filmmakers are in Boston, and um, you know we're 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 having meetings every day. So I don't know. It 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 seems to work. So I'm I'm very happy being out here. I probably do about two or three projects a year that are LA based, but the vast majority of my work is is probably off. sounds like a very exciting career so if someone wants to get into the music composing business what's your advice to them where did you go to, you said you went to college in Boston where did you go and did you study music I, I, um, I started studying music in junior high school and I was very fortunate to have a great teacher and I have to say that if you don't have that passion that when you wake up in the morning it's the thing that you have to do then it becomes a very difficult thing to do. Um, and I think I recognized that in my first year of learning music that this is what I had to do. So from there, it led me to the High School of Music and Art in New York. So I got to study music every single day for about half the day in my high school years, which was fantastic. And that became a great foundation. And, and, and truly my foundation for everything comes from that. 
Then I went to the Berklee College of Music in Boston and uh, moved back to New York. And I think that everything I do, I still feel like I'm studying. Um, in the past year or two, I've been going regularly to uh, the opera, to ballet, to hearing the L.A. Philharmonic. And I'm not necessarily a classical musician. It's, this is not my main thing, per se. But um, you just keep studying and you keep growing and doing it. For somebody who wants to be a composer, it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's very hard. You have to be very persistent. Uh, you have to do it every single day. If you want to be a composer, a writer, a swimmer, whatever it is, you have to get out there and you have to do it every day. That's what makes the difference. Um, I think it's the author Malcolm Gladwell said it takes something like 10,000 hours until you become an expert at what you're doing. And if you look at any discipline, that's that's probably true. Um, So once you quote-unquote, become a composer, then you're faced with the issue of how do I make a living as a composer, if that's, if that's how you want to, to make a living. Charles Ives, the great American composer, um, I don't think he ever made his living as a composer. He was an insurance uh, salesman in Hartford, Connecticut. And um, I, don't, I don't even know that he entertained the idea of making a living as a composer, yet he truly is one of the greatest American composers. Um, so making a living as a composer is a whole another kettle of fish, and there's lots of ways to go about that, depending on what your music is. So you have to find the niche that works best for the music that you compose, whether it's writing music for TV and film, like I do, or classical music, or jazz, or rock, or songs, or theater, or you know experimental music, whatever it is. You can find examples out there of people who are making a living at doing just that. And I think that those are the models to consider looking at and always looking at other models also because we can all learn from um, other things. The tough thing for composers is that the link between the business side and the creative side is often a difficult chasm to cross. I think that that's, that's a tough one. Um, you can find many composers or musicians, let's say, who are very strong on the creative side but don't want to even consider the business side and unless they have really competent and, and exceptional help in that area. They may, that will you know, hinder the level of success that they can reach. Um, so it's, it's kind of a strange combination of things. Some people say get an agent. I don't know. I guess that works for some. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing. Anything in the arts where you have to manage the right brain and left brain is is always a challenge, I think, especially for artists who really don't dig doing that business end of it. But it's mission critical, I think, if you're going to be successful. Would you agree with that? I, I, would, I would say so. Um, from an early age, I, I realized that I wanted to understand everything about the business side of what I was doing also, that I didn't want to just be a bass player and just, you know, show up and and go on. And I was always interested in all of these other sides too. And as you know, I have this entrepreneurial side of me as as well. 
and um, and that's hard. It's hard to to have to have both and to deal with both and know how to balance it. That's that's the key. Uh, hopefully, you never get to a point where you're looking at it only as a business. Um, I don't think I ever could. I have too much fun on the creative side, and that's that's what drives and that's what drives it all. You know, that's where that's where it all comes from. If I couldn't do that, I don't think I'd want to do the other side. The other side would, would become boring for me. Right. So, right. so for me at least, it, it is striking that balance, and that's kind of the key to happiness for for many people, even no, no matter what you're doing, knowing you know what what balance will work for you. Absolutely. So you're working on the JFK project. What else are you? What else, what else is up next for you? Well, I just finished a really interesting um, film about Katarina Witt, the Olympic skater, uh, the East German Olympic skater from the 1980s. Um, this is for ESPN, uh, a film called The Diplomat. That'll be on the air in August, I believe. And I, I literally just finished it, so am just making some room right now and, and just getting the ball rolling on JFK. Um, and that's a four-hour documentary. And that'll keep me pretty busy through the summer, I think. And then at some point in the summer, there's another project that I may start on, uh, which I hope to start on. I usually don't talk about it beforehand, but I will here. Um, it's a film called An Honest Liar, and it's a film about the great Randy, the master of deception and also a, a master at outing um, many who try to deceive others <laughs> um, erroneously, let's say. So um, that's going to be a really fun project to work on. Also, another nice shift from dealing with uh, the larger issues of life and presidents and things like that. This will be a, a very interesting. If you're not familiar with The Great Randy, just, just look him up, The Great Randy. And uh, it's quite a story, quite the story. So we'll see. And you are quite a great man to be doing the music behind these wonderful stories. I think uh, you're one of those unsung heroes. You make the emotion of the movie work, but we rarely know who you are. So it's really an honor to give voice to you, the music man. And we hope to have you back on the Incandescent Radio Network sometime soon. Thank you. That would, that would be great. I, uh, I look forward to it, and I, I really do appreciate the support. Thank you, Hope. My pleasure. So how can uh, tell us how our listeners can learn more about your work? Um, probably the best way to do it is uh, to go to my website, which is www.joelgoodman.com. Uh, and from there you can find um, there's lots of music to listen to up there. There's, there's video. There's links. I believe there are links to every uh, a bunch of select films that you can stream online uh, films I've scored, uh, streaming or renting them, that's it, Netflix, things like that, and uh, social media links. So, yeah, joelgoodman.com. Okay, well, we'll send our listeners to joelgoodman.com, and we will look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Incandescent Radio Network. We'll talk to you in the near future. Bye. That's it for today's episode of Art 101, Artists on the Business of Art hosted by award-winning illustrator and designer Michael Gibbs. Be sure to check back next week on the Incandescent Radio Network for another interview with an artist in the know. Here's to living your dreams.